This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Hey friends, thanks for being with me today. Before I introduce Amber, our guest, just a couple of side notes. This is a kind of part two to episode 13. So if you haven't already, I'd encourage you to listen to that episode with Ryan to get the full story and context. Also, thanks for being patient with the sound quality on this episode and episode 13. We were having a little trouble with the tech and the remote recording. Now on to Amber's introduction. Amber Jackson was born in Ogden, Utah, and is the oldest of seven children. By the age of 15, she had moved 12 times with her family, and Menden, Utah was their final move. Growing up, she was a good student, and after high school, she attended Ricks College and majored in interior design. She had many faith-promoting experiences in college, and by the spring of 2000, she wanted to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ. She served 18 months in the New Jersey Morristown Mission. Amber later married her good friend Ryan Jackson, and they have now been married for 16 years. They have five kids and reside in Cache Valley, Utah. They've been through many ups and downs, but are still in love. Now for our interview with Amber Jackson. I'm Tara McCausland, and again, a warm welcome to our listeners, and I've Warm welcome to Amber. Thank you, Amber, for being with me today. What experience um, or insight might you share as a foundational part of your testimony growing up? Yeah, as I think about that, I feel like I kind of always had a testimony. It just was kind of always there. Um, and, And my My family was very religious. In fact, we moved around a lot. Um, My dad switched jobs and we lived all over in Utah and Canada and California. And and I got to see um, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in lots of different situations and wards. And and I just just realized like the, the gospel is the same wherever we are and my my family is the same and so whenever we moved somewhere new I did I just always had comfort I just always had trust that it was going to work out and we just had new friends and new family you know ward family to meet with um I also I'm the oldest of seven and seven kids and I I had a lot of opportunities to babysit (laughs) And a lot of a lot of time to get used to how the spirit prompted me um, to take care of something or like a, a very specific time I remember of like, wow, I think that was the Holy Ghost. Was, we were driving home from somewhere and I was sitting next to my baby brother in his car seat and and the thought came, you should look at the baby. And I was like, oh, okay, I looked over and I noticed that he wasn't completely buckled in. And I just reached over, I buckled him in, I turned back around. And I don't know if it was a few minutes or right then, but um, another car hit into our big van. So we were all fine. We were all in seatbelts and the other person was actually fine, but it was, 
pretty traumatic for all us kids. It was our very first car accident. And, um, and anyway, after all the drama of the police cars and, you know, all of that, um, we're driving home and I, and I just, it dawned on me like, mom, I think that was the Holy ghost telling me I needed to buckle up the baby because he, he could have gotten hurt. If he wasn't in his seatbelt, you know, and she was just so good to to tell me like, yeah, I think you're right. That was very important to listen. And and from then on, I just felt confident that the Holy Ghost communicating with you somehow, it's real. It really worked. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like 10 or 11. So yeah, it was was very impactful for me. Well, uh, we spent the last hour, uh, Ryan and I, talking about his experience. And so we're piggybacking off of that. But I think we are doing better talking about depression and anxiety and understanding that they are real diseases. But something I don't think we are talking about enough is how loved ones of those who suffered from depression are impacted. So tell us about your experience as the wife of one who has suffered with depression and how you've navigated that in your marriage? Well, for one thing, we we started out, we'd been for nine years and always kind of dated somebody else. And we're just, we were friends with each other. Um, so as he was dealing with his first kind of round of depression, um, we started to date, but we had this really strong foundation of friendship um, and it allowed us to be very open and and communicate really well. And so before we even started getting serious, he he was so good to just bring up, you know, I just want you to know really everything about me and what I've gone through so that you can come into this relationship with a clear mind. And whatever you decide, I'm going to respect. But you're such a good friend. I, I don't want to ruin that by keeping something secret and that was a huge foundation of trust for us um dealing with that and and sharing some of my experiences and his experiences and we did start a family pretty early on we we were 24 when we got married and just thought you know we should we don't need to wait for kids and I guess Lord thought that was a great opportunity so he sent us twins I was really grateful that we had that friendship to um lean upon because we didn't have a lot of uh, marriage time just the two of us figuring things out (laughs) it was four of us really quickly and then a couple years into that with the twins and him and Ryan kind of finding his way through school and what he really wanted to do and having these different opportunities come up um, I actually found myself in depression as well and got some therapy and and worked through some things and started some medication. And he was very supportive of me. He just did such a great job taking care of me in those in those times. Um, and I found something that worked. And it just has been working for a long time. So sometimes I even forget that I deal with my own depression. Um, until those really stressful moments come along. So I think that gives me a different perspective on helping him when he was really struggling this last summer because when he would describe the pain or the darkness or 
how lonely you can feel in depression, I I know those emotions for myself and just wanted so badly to take that away, you know, and to, to somehow just me telling him I love him and doing all I could to take care of things for the family and the kids and try and lessen his load. Um, I just wanted that to to work. I wanted that to fix it. <laughs> and I started to realize as we switched medications and then things got just instantly worse. Um, we switched medications quite a bit, actually, after that first first one. I wanted my love to save him <laughs> from from this trial, from this hardship. And I think that was a big lesson for me. The Savior is the one who does the he does the saving. And as much as I wanted to fix it and, and, and help, I really couldn't do anything. I mean, physically, I could keep him in the house, but only for so long. And then taking him to the hospital was just heartbreaking because I felt like I should be able to help him. Um, but I was just, I was getting exhausted. I was so, so afraid that if I let him out of my sight, something could happen. And it was a lot of emotional pressure. But I was so grateful to have resources that we have nowadays. I mean, he got blessings. I got blessings. I felt like we were getting blessings like once a week or more. But just like, I need strength. I need guidance. And and I've got five kids at home, teenagers, and, you know, from 15 to, to eight years old. Because it was summer, I was grateful for that because we could kind of ship them off to grandma and grandpa's or to cousins' houses and um, so for some of the time, they they were just having a great time <laughs> visiting everybody. But we are also very open and honest with our kids as well. And they they know, they recognize when things are, are stressful. And, and we were just very open. Like, And we'd already, our kids already knew we both had depression and that some days were hard. At this point, we were like, okay, dad is actually going in the hospital because the medicine's not working and the depression's really hard right now and we want to make sure that he's safe and and they did a good job i think that brought a lot of emotional bonding with as siblings they seemed to bond but also connected to us and they were able to talk about their feelings too well i think that's that's very interesting how the lord uses uh, our challenges so that we can we can empathize and help one another. And in this case, it sounds like the fact that you have dealt with depression in your own life, that you had a unique ability to empathize and understand your husband, which I think in cases like this, while I'm sure it's very, very hard when you're both having a really down day, having that experience as one who's experienced depression, that you you could help him in ways that someone who has not experienced depression wouldn't be able to. The Lord works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Yeah. But also that point that you were that you wanted your love to save him. And I I know that you are not the only person <laughs> that's ever <laughs> felt that. Um, those who've listened to my mom's episode, she wanted to save my dad. Obviously, his challenges were very different. Um, but I think we we all often will have to have that experience where we want to fix, we want to control, and yet 
we know that the ultimate fixer, the one with the capital F, is <laughs> is the savior. While we can love and we can support, trying to point those who are struggling to the savior is the best thing that we can do for them. I appreciate that point as well that you brought up. I think at that time, I mean, we we had gone through so many different experiences helping each other. We'd had different sicknesses with with our kids or I would, I, um, just the year before actually had West Nile virus. I was one of two people in Cache Valley and oh. was, was in a wheelchair for two weeks because it, it was causing like nerve damage, almost like arthritis in every joint of my body. So it was too painful to walk. And I had to let people come in and bring us meals and these beautiful elderly ladies <laughs> came and swept my fo- floor and brought me flowers or chocolates. People brought me a lot of chocolate that helped. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and I wondered like, why that was such a silly thing. Like it's a mosquito bite, you know, like <laughs> why did I have to go through that right then? But it, as I was experiencing this with Ryan, it allowed me to just open up and ask for help almost immediately because I have these relationships now with these people in our ward and I know that they love our family and and also with our family members and um and my in-laws through some of those hard experiences I I learned how to be a little more more humble or vulnerable to just ask for help when I need it and that is something that has always been very hard for me to ask for help because I'm the doer, I'm the fixer. But that was that was amazing because every time someone saw me, they could ask, how are you? And I could honestly tell them, this is how we are today. <laughs> this is what we're going through instead of like, oh, I'm fine. How are you? And other people I saw now looking back, I can see that it allowed other people to share and open up as well. Like, yeah, I, you know, some people I'd known for a while and admired, opened up and said, yeah, we lost our son a couple years ago to suicide. And, and yeah, I have, I have a sibling or I myself have gone through this or, you know, um, so many people have, have been influenced by these, these kind of trials. Um, it just allowed this really big conversation to be able to happen and a lot of connecting because when you share those personal experiences you just have a deeper connection with someone than talking about the everyday things and I really felt supported during the summer by family members and ward members and neighbors and all those people praying for you I always thought you know people say we can feel your prayers I'm like okay (laughs) I don't really know what that's what is that like but I felt so weighed down and yet my feet weren't touching the ground because I was lifted up at the same time by all those prayers. It really is an amazing feeling to know so many people are praying for you and that, you know, that doesn't necessarily change the will of God or or people's agency. It didn't stop Ryan from trying to end his life. But so many miracles came about because of people's prayers. And it gave me the strength to just keep going every day. Well, I might back up a little bit, if you don't mind. So Ryan had described he took a 
bottle full of pills. At what point were you privy to that information? So I was, I think I was still in a very controlling kind of mode where I just didn't let him out of my sight. I would, I was going to work with him or going to check on him at work because he was so adamant. He still needed to go to work and get all these things done. Yeah, it was just one night he, he came home or I called him at work at like 11 o'clock or something and just said, I don't care what's been going on or what, what you've done. Please just come home. He finally did come home and then began to tell me about this, this horrible day he'd had and going back to some of these addictions and things that he'd struggle with that just made him feel even worse. And I listened and I just said, I don't know how responsible you are for these choices because because you're not thinking clearly, you're not thinking logically, and we're we're gonna just we're gonna get some help. But then I was just feeling overwhelmed too. Like, wow, can we all these people are praying for us? We're praying so hard, we're trying so hard. Like, why is it just getting worse instead of better? And I just said, you know, I'm just gonna go for a drive. It was about midnight by then. I'm gonna go for a drive. And he was like, I'm just going to go to sleep. And, you know, we'd gotten to that point in the conversation where I felt like we were all, you know, you were okay. He was calmed down. There was no, like, impulsive behavior I was seeing. And I drove to my to my work, like, five minutes away to an empty parking lot. And I just screamed and cried. And I was like, why, you know, asking God, why do you give us agency? It's so, it's so hard. Like, I'm grateful for agency, but I just hate it right now. <laughs> you know, how how am I supposed to help when and let him have his agency at the same time? And when when is it that you step in and, and help? Where are these miracles? Where where are the blessings from all these efforts we're putting forward? It just seems like it's getting worse. And I I eventually cried myself to sleep and woke up a few hours later and was of course freezing in my car. So I drove back home. And Ryan was asleep in his bed. I just got in bed and fell asleep. And in the morning when he woke up, he just kind of looked around like he didn't know where he was. <laughs> he said, I'm still here. That's when we had the conversation that he had taken those pills. And, and I was like, okay, well, we're going to send the kids off to cousins' houses again today. And we're going to call your mom and dad. I'm going to come over. We already had a doctor's appointment for that day. So that was helpful. I was almost even in disbelief because he was, he just seemed so calm. And the, I was like, did you throw up? Do you have a headache? And he had absolutely no symptoms of anything. So because I wasn't there to see it myself, I still was kind of like, I, I don't know for sure what really happened after the doctor's appointment. You know, we just checked in like, okay, this just happened. What do you like? We're planning on going back to the hospital right now. What do you think should be our plan from here? And we got into the emergency room and they did EKGs and they, they did all these tests on his kidneys and everything that should have been affected by this medication. I didn't even know what it was called. I just brought the empty bottle with me and handed it to the ER doctor. Like he took all of these. He'd only taken two. It was a brand new medication. And then the ER doctor just kind of turned to me after all these tests were coming back and nothing was showing up and just said, yeah, I'm really amazed that he's he's fine. His heart looks great. I just, I don't understand how this didn't affect him in one way or another. And then I remembered what I had said in my prayer, kind of 
throwing a little tantrum to the Lord, like, why aren't you helping? <laughs> I just knew in that moment that he, he was helping. He'd kept him safe when I just couldn't do it. It was very comforting to have him there in the hospital because um, it, it was just exhausting, too, to just always wonder where he was or what he was doing and calling him and uh, or just trying to keep him with me. Um, so knowing he was in the hospital safe and they were going to try and figure out medication. And we just had a lot of great, great doctors, too, that we worked with. So that I would certainly call that a miracle that there was apparently no evidence of him taking right. a full bottle of medication. What other uh, instances would you say as you were moving forward, getting uh, treatment and as as Ryan was hospitalized, when would you say you saw the hand of the Lord through that process? Just the first thought that popped into my head was my my daughter answered the door once and somebody had like a, a big chocolate cake or something that they um, had made and just they couldn't finish off. And they thought, you know, we just thought of your family and that you guys might enjoy this. And, and my daughter said, Mom, <laughs> one of your prayers worked. You got chocolate. <laughs> that that helps me. <laughs> <laughs> was my, I probably gained 20 pounds that summer. Just I was uh, such an emotional eater too. Just whenever I was feeling that stress, I needed <laughs> chocolate. But um, and, the, and it showed up right on time. <laughs> I mean, so there were funny little moments like that of just like you just randomly thought of us, and that was something I was like, "There's no more chocolate in our whole house." <laughs> <laughs> there are other moments of people just calling or coming over and saying, "Like, let me help you with your laundry," or, um, or just, "I was thinking about you. You need to talk." And I was like, "No, I think I'm doing fine." And then as we're talking, I'm give myself permission to just kind of let out all those emotions that I'm just hanging on to inside so that I can still function and get things done. And there were a lot of people that, that would stop by. Um, another amazing miracle too was the, um, and we have good insurance, the clinic that he was sent to or that we got him into um, insurance doesn't pay for. And it was pretty expensive. And I was trying to figure out how we were going to do that. And you had to pay for it all up front. And then you could kind of submit um, smaller statements to your insurance later and hopefully get a refund or, you know, some kind of refund. And I approached my family, like, I really feel strongly that he needs to go to this and just get this taken care of. And because I was still also just afraid of him coming right home after the hospital. And, you know, then it was just me again. And <laughs> how was I going to keep him in the good progressive track he was in and where he was still so fragile? They suggested doing a, a type of um, online donations. I was just amazed in, in one week. People had donated a lot of money in two weeks. I had all the money I needed to pay for it. And then people just kept giving money. No, I'm like, it's okay. It's all covered. People from our past that, oh, I remember being in, in middle school with Ryan. And he was always so kind and, you know, or people from our missions and things like that. Just, it was amazing to kind of reconnect with, with all these people. And it didn't matter the amount that they were donating. There were, yeah, there were a lot of miracles like that. Well, you've already spoken to this, 
but I will just say that I was so impressed with the fact that that you did open up about Ryan's situation and you reached out for help. And it's clear that that was a blessing to you and your family. Many of us struggle reaching out for help. What counsel would you give to someone who may be really struggling and doesn't want to reach out for help for one reason or another, um, just based on your experience, how that helped you? I would usually think, oh, I don't want to be a burden to someone like they've got their own things to worry about or or they've got lots of kids or a busy job. You know, I'd always find an excuse for not reaching out to somebody. And and really, I was robbing them of, of blessings. When you serve someone, you do receive blessings. And one of those blessings is you create a relationship. I hadn't experienced that like gaining these friendships with these wonderful people who I I probably just passed in the hall at church some of them I didn't really even know they knew who I was but now they're dear friends you know and I just think it has to start somewhere somebody has to just be a little a little brave and say you know I'm not really okay I could use a little help or when someone asks like how how are things going instead of oh we're okay I've, I've got this I have learned it's okay to say it's really hard right now. And then instead of feeling shame or embarrassment that I need help, I was learning how to be grateful, how to say thank you, how to just have gratitude for these wonderful people. It's again, it's just another lesson that the Lord has to teach us to allow ourselves to be served. And then it it so easily connects with the atonement because so often with that, I I just try and, you know, I know the Savior's busy. He's got everyone else to worry about. I just need to take care of myself. I just need to figure this out and I'll just, I'll just do it. I'll just handle this. And he's there saying, but I already handled it for you. I'm there to walk with you and to be there for you. But he can't force himself on us. He needs our permission. We still need to say, you know, open that door and say, okay, I'm ready for your help. I've got to find a way to humble myself and say, yeah, I really can't do this by myself. Um, And I can't say that that is the case every day since I've learned some of those things. I'm still very independent and forget that, oh, yeah, I could be relying on the Lord a lot more. But I think it's something we kind of relearn and have to remember over and over again. Yeah, I think a lot of life's lessons are like that. I keep thinking, gosh, haven't I learned patience yet? <laughs> As <laughs> yes. I'm trying to raise my kids. Nope, nope, not not today. <laughs> and that's okay that we're all a work in progress. So as one who has suffered from depression and, again, navigating a, a marriage where your spouse also suffers with depression, you have a unique perspective. But uh, what counsel would you give to a loved one of someone who suffers from depression? Lots of people would remind me to take time for myself or make make sure I was doing even the little things like one one of my dear friends was like, have you showered? Have you like, when was the last time you went out of your house? You know, just even those little things like kind of check in with them and just um, make sure they're, they're still taking care of their essential needs because 
if you if you deplete yourself of all that that strength and um you're a lot worse off trying to help the person who's suffering with depression and so it is it it feels backwards it feels like you should just be okay and just help the person who's struggling but you I guess it's like the analogy with the airplane, right? The oxygen mask drops down. You have to put it on yourself so that you you have enough oxygen to help the people around you. Even though our first impulse is just start helping everyone. We really have to take care of those those things for us. Make sure that we're, we're getting some time with the Lord. Make sure we're getting time to really pray and, and to let those emotions out. It's not healthy to keep keep all those worries and emotions in. And it's okay to, to go through all kinds of different emotions of being angry or being just so sad or, you know, you just kind of fly from one emotion to the other. And when you're confused and you're, you know, you feel so weighed down. And then all of a sudden you just kind of feel like, oh, no, I think I'm handling this okay. And then the next moment, something else. It's okay to just go through a roller coaster of emotions because this is this is something difficult. Depression and anxiety are invisible diseases. And it is like your loved one is going through cancer treatments or it's a big deal. It's hard sometimes for everyone to see how difficult the depression really is and how scary it can feel to loved ones when they just don't know how to help and whatever they're doing just doesn't seem to help or even resources not everyone knows what resources are out there or what what do you do in certain situations let people show you that they love you and that um there and there are there's so many good people out there that are willing to help and and love and when they really know what you're going through, people don't judge like you think they're going to. Thank you so much, yeah. Amber. I'd say you probably don't want to repeat this summer. No. <laughs> it was, sounds like it was pretty hellish um, and scary. So and we're all doing some therapy. I've got my kids in some therapy and, and myself, and we're just trying to process all of it. After he came home and life was kind of going back to normal, I and the kids started school again. I was just exhausted and and my depression started coming back a little bit and I was like, you know, everything's starting to get better. Why am I feeling this way? And um it's how your body responds after you've been in in shock or something, you know, you've just again just being kind to yourself and saying, "Okay, I've been through a lot. I just need to let let myself feel some of these things." But absolutely. And just one day at a time, sometimes just one foot in front of the other is all we can really focus on. Yeah. Not be too hard on yourself, just like you said. So my final question, Amber, why are you still rowing and choosing faith in the restored church of Jesus Christ? I think it just comes back to that simple testimony I had as a child that I just, I know that it's true. Even if Ryan would have succeeded. We wouldn't have him right now. We would still be an eternal family and it would still be worth all of these experiences. But um, sometimes I row faster than other times. So sometimes I sit in the boat and <laughs> just think, I don't know if I can row anymore, but just stay in the boat helps. <laughs> don't jump out. <laughs> I have to tell myself, just stay in the boat. And, and when you feel like rowing, keep rowing. 
and you're not in, in a boat alone, the Savior's there. And I do feel like my testimony of the Savior has grown so much and just having to let go of, of the control of trying to fix everything myself and, and really trust him that he's the one that can fix it. And I hope that I can hang on to those lessons. <laughs> well, you're a great lady, Amber. I'm sure you don't feel it sometimes, but you have an enormous amount of faith. And I know that your faith is blessing those who have watched you navigate this very difficult thing. So thank you for being being an example of a believer and of one who is still rowing, even through some hard things. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor is this podcast affiliated with the church. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to receive updates on future episodes. You can submit comments or questions at stillrowing.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.